Well, hello, and uh, welcome to Citizens. Uh, my name is David, and I serve as the Family Life Pastor here. Uh, it's always a joy to be able to worship uh, in this space together. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, launched a new series um, titled The Church We Long For. Uh, I think it's safe to assume that many of us were here with uh, certain expectations and longings when it comes to the church. Uh, and in the many years that I've, I've pastored, I've uh, encountered a f- pretty wide spectrum uh, of people's longings when it comes to uh, a community like this. You know, whether it's uh, the music, the volume of music, uh, preaching style, discipleship and education programs, and even very specific communities that people are longing for. Uh, so I get asked, hey, do you have a place for people in the mid to late 20s? How about early 30s to mid 30s? Uh, 40s to 50s, and then even with families, you have a space for newlywed couples. How about couples with young children? Couples with older children? It just keeps going and going, and I think it's natural for us to have uh, preferences when it comes to the church. And most of these longings, I want to say they're good. They're good. Uh, But only in part and not the whole. You know, desiring a community for yourself is good, Uh, But if that's all that you're looking for in a church, uh, we have an incomplete picture of what the church is. You know, wanting sound teaching and and good gospel preaching, this is an essential. It is good uh, to desire this, but if that's the primary way and the only way you define the church, um, you too are falling short. You know, the church should be involved uh, in serving the marginalized and pursuing justice for others, and this should be a priority of the church. Uh, But if that's the only priority that you see for the church, uh, we're missing out on the the various different responsibilities that Christ has for us. You know, I think it's like a puzzle. Uh, You know, these longings are are good, but if all we see is our peace, uh, again, we're not uh, grasping the, the big picture of what the church is, but together, When all these longings come together and we're faithful and committed to seeing this out together, I think we have a beautiful picture of what the church can be. You know, the question we want to consider throughout this series is, are my longings for the church in alignment with Christ's desire and his longing for us? And we hope that we'll gain a greater vision of what that is. So Jason opened up the series by preaching on the church that abides reminding us that the quality of our lives will depend on who we're connected to. And for us as a church, that connection needs to be to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we can resemble him and reflect him. Last week, uh, Jason preached on the church that contends. We want to be a church that contends on our knees, with our voices, and with our hands. We want to pray, we want to protest, and we want to participate. We want to do all three well so that we we can advocate for others and pursue the welfare of our city. Uh, If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I really want to encourage you guys to listen because this is kind of a a, a progression uh, for this series. And so today, our focus will be on the church that strengthens, on the church that strengthens. And I don't have a central passage that I'm going to go through. I have very different passages in the New Testament. It's going to pop up on the screen behind me so you guys can follow along. You know, throughout my life, I had different reasons for working out. Uh, I don't really work out anymore, uh, but I had different reasons to work out. And it started actually in my teenage years. 
Uh, I was extremely skinny as a young teenager, and people didn't hesitate to remind me of how skinny I was. Uh, people constantly would say, David, you're so skinny, you're so skinny. And even at one point, this was kind of the low point, I had girls coming up to me saying, uh, complimenting on my legs. <laughs> um, don't look at them now, uh, but don't be distracted. But people, uh, girls would compliment, oh, your, your legs are so nice. And as a young teenage boy, like, that's not an ego booster, you know. It was, <laughs> uh, it was very discouraging, actually. And so when I got to middle school and I discovered that they had a weight room, I was determined to prove people wrong, uh, to not have my legs be the envy of sisters. And so my exclusive reason for working out was just to get bigger. Uh, I worked out just to get big. But when I got to high school and I got involved in different sports, my reason for working out changed. And as I spent time in the weight room, depending on how people worked out, I was able to discern, like, what sport they were working out for. So football players, they would do a lot of heavy lifting, right, bench, squats, deadlifts. But if you go to other sports, I play tennis and basketball, our workouts look different. Uh, we want to build up our core. We want to build up our legs, our arms, but it's all different. Based on the sport that you're playing, your workout needs to be conducive so that you can perform well in your respective sport. You know, before we talk about strengthening the church or becoming a strong church, we have to ask, for what? For, for what reason are we conditioning? For what reason are we working out? And this is actually a more difficult question to answer than we think. Because I think what we've seen in this past few years was a misuse of power, a misuse of strength when it comes to the church. You know, we were in lockdown because of the pandemic. About the same time, we were experiencing some, uh, a great unrest because of political and social issues. And we saw our nation in this power struggle, right, being torn apart and divided. You know, people felt the pressure to choose a side, to identify through labels and categories that were given to us. And if you choose, depending on what you chose, what side you chose, or what party you voted for, you're either at risk, you're at risk of being vilified, canceled, or labeled as intolerant. And the same pressure was felt by churches and their leaders. And unfortunately, uh, many of them took the bait. And so what we saw was a conflation of the Christian faith. faith. We saw the merging of Christianity with a singular issue or with a political party. And instead of representing Christ, the church resembled more of the sinful patterns and divisions and the power struggle of our world adopting its rhetoric, methods, and tactics, and slowly the church was losing their potency and influence in the world. But this isn't a new struggle that we're facing as a church today. You know, the early church from its inception struggled to maintain their unique identity while existing in an intoxicating city and culture. This was hard. This was an extremely difficult tension to live in. And this was no easy task. The churches struggled to live faithfully in the world, but not become like the world. 
in a first Peter, our first passage that I want to look at, first Peter chapter two, verses eleven through twelve. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter here, he's writing to a Christian community in modern-day Turkey. Uh, they, were, they were a very unique community. They stood out. And because they were so different, their neighbors were persecuting them. There was a lot of hostility that they experienced. And so Paul's writing to them to not abandon their faith, but to stay strong. And notice how he addresses them in the beginning. He calls them beloved. Beloved. Reminding them of their standing with God. That in the sight of God, they are precious. They are loved. But then quickly after, he reminds them of their standing with the world that they are sojourners, they are exiles, they are strangers in a foreign land. They are travelers passing through. Now this is a paradox. This is difficult because the church lives in two worlds simultaneously. In one world, we have an assurance of love, security with God. We are his children. We are adopted into his family. But in the other world, we are aliens. We are strangers. See, when the church emphasizes that former reality of being beloved without talking about the latter, what tends to happen is isolation. We want to remove ourselves from the world. But if we reverse that, if we emphasize our existence here and forget how we're loved by God, what tends to happen is assimilation. We conform to the world. We become like it. Neither of which we're called to. We are to hold these two worlds in tension simultaneously. You know, when Jesus prayed for his followers in his high priestly prayer in the Gospel of John chapter 17, he specifically asked God, do not take them out of the world. Keep them in it. But then he prays that God will strengthen them in the world. You know, I've had the uh, privilege of traveling all over the world for various different mission trips. And no matter what country I would go to, the most important document is my passport. It verifies who I am and what country I belong to. And so if, I, if there's an emergency, if there's any suspicion of who I am, that passport will tell me of who I am. It will bail me out if I was in trouble. And so I would create copies of it. I will try to keep it very safe and close by, just in case. And what Peter is doing here for this church is he's reminding them of their identity, their primary identity. You are beloved. And this identity will help them navigate the very difficult and tumultuous waters of this world. You know, the church's posture towards the world needs to reflect its position in Christ. Let me say that one more time. Our attitude and posture towards this world that we're living in needs to reflect our position in Christ. So the church's mission isn't to win the cultural wars that are waging around us, but rather the church's mission is to be a witness to the world of the goodness of Jesus Christ. 
We are to act in such a way, contend in such a way that reflects the gospel of grace. Our fight looks different. What we're competing for is different than the world's. You know, if you go to our website where, where I, you know, if you're visiting, if you've been checking us out, I really want to encourage you guys to go to our website. And on the front page, you'll see our vision statement. And I just want to read, read, read this and remind us of it. Our vision here as citizens is to be a city within a city, a community transformed by the gospel, living out the life of heaven here and now. Living out the life of heaven here and now is talking about this dual citizenship that we have. And it goes on. We long to be a city on a hill, an alternative community marked by radical humility, love, compassion, and a genuine concern for our neighbors. This is why we are here. This is what our purpose is. Our purpose is witness. Not necessary to win over others, it is to witness to others who Jesus is. And so then our conditioning needs to reflect that purpose. This is why we need to work out. So how do we strengthen the witness of the church? You know, historic, historically, the greatest threat um, posed to the church wasn't outside persecution. If you look through the, throughout the New Testament, actually that only strengthened the church. What really caused problem was infighting. It was internal struggles, arguments about tradition, about class, about ethnicity, disagreements on social issues, expressions of spirituality, abuse of authority. These were the things that actually tore the community apart. And if we look at that list, not much has changed. It's the same for us today. But what we see in these issues is a church's attempt to base their identity and qualification on a different source than Jesus Christ a different source than Jesus Christ. So, so they'll look at giftings, they'll look at traditions, your background, your experiences, and say, oh, you deserve a space. Whenever we base our identity on an alternative source outside of Jesus Christ, we are bound to experience conflict and divisions. Every church experiences it. And so Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. For he himself, being Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You know, for, from the very beginning, if we look at, from the beginning of the Bible to, to the end, what we see is God's desire making himself known to the world by people, by a community. This was God's plan from the very beginning. So he created Adam and Eve to be his glory representatives. And the command that he gave them was, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You know, Adam and Eve being uniquely created in God's image was to share his glory and spread his glory to, the, to all the earth. And in the same way, the church now becomes that glory representative by creating a new body 
one body. Not divided by these things that our world is divided by, but united by the blood of Christ. Sharing that thing that brings us together, our Savior. We're to represent and model this truth, this spiritual truth of being reconciled to God visibly through the reconciliation we experience here as citizens. And so this truth of reconciliation, this gift of grace, radically reconfigured this idea of community in the New Testament. Not based on status, not based on upbringing, not based on your last name, but now anyone and everyone was invited to the table. This was astonishing. This was shocking. And so if we look at the early church and their composition, we see Jews and Gentiles. We see slave and free. We see men and women. We see rich and poor all coming together under the name of Jesus. It's unity, not uniformity that we're after. You know what is unimpressive about a community? A community that comes together with everyone that has the same interests, that thinks the same, that speaks the same, that acts the same. There's nothing impressive about that. Jesus taught. What, what good is it if you love those that love you back? What good is it, good is it if you gather with people that have the same interests right, and that is just like you? Anyone can do that. There's nothing radical about that love. See, the love that we see in the gospel is a love that travels uncomfortable distances to love others. Across political lines, cultural, generational lines. And this love seeks to listen before speaking. This love seeks to understand more than to be understood. You know, when we look at the city that we call citizens, uh, we see all different types of people here. Um, but not one person is more important than the other. Not one person is more valuable than the other. We are all important in the makeup of this community, from the youngest to the oldest, from those who are brand new to the faith for those, and, and those that are assured of who they are, for those figuring out their calling and those confident in their calling. All of us, we matter to this body. But if you, stay, if you stick around long enough, you're going to realize that there are glaring differences. Glaring differences. You know, our longings and our passions will inevitably collide with one another's. But one thing I want us to understand very clearly about the church, our differences aren't our weaknesses. Our differences actually are the very means in which God wants to share with the world the power of the ministry of reconciliation. We had no business being restored with God. We were sinners. We weren't even looking for God. But God came after us. He pursued us. And he made a way for us to be with him. This church, this community, in all of its diversity and differences, being together is a testimony of that reconciliation. But here's a challenge. In order to get strong, 
There's going to be pain. You talk to anyone that works out, anyone that exercises, there's pain involved. It's very uncomfortable. And often God will use one of us in that experience of pain. That's why working out with someone else is way better than working out alone. Because that person will tell you, hey, do one more rep. Run that extra mile. We need to hear those voices. We need one another. You know, Paul, in, the conclusion, or in his closing remarks to the church um, of Thessalonica, this is what he says. And I, I love this kind of final remarks that he gives to this church. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 18. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays another, anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He calls out everybody. <laughs> everyone he doesn't leave anyone behind and this is such a challenging and compelling vision of community he includes everyone he even includes pastors and leaders and yes we also need encouragement we need friendships to help us keep going but then he also addresses the idol the idol these are people that are able and capable they're so gifted but they're not doing anything with their giftedness they're just sitting around he calls out the faint-hearted. These are people that are jaded, exhausted, frustrated with the community. Maybe it's because you've experienced devastating loss. Maybe you're just burnt out. Or maybe you have so many doubts about the Christian faith and you want to abandon it. Faint-hearted. He calls them out and says, we need to strengthen them. We need to walk with them. And then he calls out the weak. These are the most vulnerable of our community. Our children, our infants. Maybe people with disabilities, people that are struggling in different ways. All these people are in here, in this community. And the call is for us to encourage, to admonish, to exhort, to lift them up. And I love what Paul says, be patient with them all. Man, patience is so hard to come by. It's so easy to get frustrated. Why can't you get it? Why can't you just serve? Why can't you just fill in the blank? It's so hard to be patient. You know, for those that don't know, uh, my wife Jane and I, we have four children, nine, six, four, and five months. I had to always remind myself uh, of, the, of their ages. But, you know, parenting these four children is extremely hard because they're all in a different place in life. All of them need our attention in different ways and our care in different ways. Um, and there was one point where with our second, Devin, she's six, we were getting so frustrated with her. We're so frustrated. Why can't you bathe yourself? Why can't you, you know, get your own food? Why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? And Jane and I, we realized it was very unfair for us to treat her that way. But the reason why we did uh, was because she doesn't look like a six-year-old. If you know anything about my second, uh, she's, she's in kindergarten, but she can pull off as a, a third grader. 
she's tall, extremely tall. And so Jane and I realized we're treating her the same way we're treating Deacon, our nine-year-old, and that's not fair. That's not fair. And so we had to, you know, we had to repent of that. You know, when it comes to the church, I think there are expectations that we have of one another. Forgetting that, actually all of us, we're in a different place. We're in a, we're in a different part of our journey of faith. And so we can get impatient. We can expect things from one another. But this, admoni- uh, this, this encouragement of being patient with all, you know what's required for patience? Perspective. We need perspective. And so there's one thing that I want to share, th- uh, share with you, something that I've learned in my counseling classes that I think will be extremely helpful in us being patient with one another as we journey together. Every Christian is, it, uh, you know, three things. We're, Christ- we're a saint, we're a sinner, and we are a sufferer. A Christian is all three things, all three things. We're a saint in the sense that we are set apart. We are holy. We are loved by God. You are beloved. You're a saint. Number two, you're a sinner, meaning that there is a residual effect of sin in us still. Paul calls it the old self. This is what's familiar to us, what we're used to. We want to put it on regularly. It's this idea that we're selfish, we're self-focused. That comes up in us regularly, so we're a sinner. Lastly, we're a sufferer, meaning that you will suffer in this life, whether to disease, disaster, and whether it's the sins of others that were uh, committed against us that have created deep wounds within us. Every Christian is a saint, sinner, and sufferer. Now, this does not give excuse for certain behaviors, but again, it's perspective. We're not just a saint. You're not just a sinner. You're not just someone who suffered. You're all three. And this is, this is very difficult, right, for us to be mindful of because, again, of expectations. You know, the Christian life was never meant to be walked alone. And what I'm realizing is that it takes a village literally for everything. It takes a village uh, to, cre- uh, to help us have healthy marriages. It takes a village for us to raise children, yes. It takes a village for us to discover our calling and our giftings and to be thriving in them. It takes a village for us to mature in faith. We cannot do this on our own. You know, living in Los Angeles is, we're fighting against so much. We're fighting against consumerism, but also radical individualism. We all want each other to just stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Don't come into mine. Let me just do my thing. But this is not how the church was designed to operate. And in the busyness of, you know, trying to do what we want to do, in the busyness of pursuing what we want to pursue, we end up running the wrong race. Brothers and sisters, we are in a race and this is, one of the, uh, this is one of the most popular metaphors that the New Testament authors like to use to describe what we're doing as a church. We are running. We are in a race. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. This is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are in a race. We're in a race. And there are things weighing us down right now, trying to hinder us from finishing that race. It may be wounds that we hold within us, trauma we've experienced, but we've never, ever shared with anyone. It might be a secret addiction that we're just imprisoned by. It may be bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. It may be your marriage that's struggling, that's holding you down. But no one knows. You're carrying it alone. Friends, we're not meant to carry this weight alone. Our bodies cannot handle it. So as a church, my hope is that we can grow and become stronger so that we can carry the weight that you're carrying. We can help you carry that weight. But what this also means is that you have to be willing to allow others to carry it with you. It takes radical humility and mutual submission for us to do this together. And we do have resources. And so if any of those things were relevant and you want to talk to someone, please fill out the counseling request forms. Uh, and we have a list of counselors, but also, you know, the pastor and the leadership, we, we want to walk with you uh, in this to help carry. Uh, you know, I want to close by sharing an image with you guys. It's going to uh, go up on the screen. This is one of my favorite um, kind of illustrations for us as a church. Uh, the one on the left, his name is David Brown, and the one on the right is Avery, uh, J Jerome Avery. And this was uh, taken at the tw uh, 2017 Paralympics. Uh, they're running the 100-meter dash, uh, and actually they won gold medal. If you look closely, they're tied at the wrist together uh, because David is blind. Uh, and so it's such an interesting uh, race that they're running. How inconvenient it is to be tied to someone as you're trying to run as fast as possible. Uh, but of the two, Jerome is the one that actually needs to match the stride of David's. And actually, if you look at the race, you can, you can see uh, Jerome just mouthing, mouthing things to Jerome because he's, he's talking to him. He, he's encouraging him. He's giving him instructions. You know, Jerome can run 100 meters way faster by himself. But th that's not the goal. The goal for them is both of them to finish together. Both of them needs to finish together. And I think this is a beautiful illustration of what we're called to as a community. Our, our objective is not to finish as fast as possible by ourselves. Our objective is for us to finish together. We need one another to finish this race. And another difference is we're not running to win a prize. We're running to obtain a prize that's already been won for us. Once again, our objective isn't to finish as fast as possible. Our objective as a church is to finish with as many people as possible. You know, Jesus ran the perfect race. He gave his life on that cross for sinners like you and me so that we can claim the prize.
Jesus rose again from the grave. And you know what he's doing now? He's cheering us on. He's saying, you can go, you, you can go harder. You can do this. You can finish. You know, this race is extremely difficult. It's hard. We will regularly stumble in this race. We will forget we are running. We will even run the wrong race. And at times, we're going to want to throw in the towel. The gift of community is there for us to pick us up when we do stumble, to remind us that we are in a race, and then to remind us to run the right race and to say, hey, you can finish. Let's finish together. Our Savior is waiting for us at the, uh, at the finish line. But again, we need to engage. We need to be committed to one another. So let me just get really practical here. For families, we have a ministry called Family Groups. We meet on a monthly basis, and I know marriage is hard. Parenting is hard. It's so easy to get distracted by the things, right, for our children. We need constant reminders to run, to endure, to persevere. And that is why we want to gather on a monthly basis. I know it's, it can get chaotic because some, some groups are outnumbered by their children. But still, for us to share with one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, this is something we need. For students and working professionals, we have a ministry called community groups. Now we're on break right now, but we're going to start up again. And when the sign-ups come up, please consider joining a community group. It's going to require commitment, but again, a necessary one for us. You know, throughout the summer, we're going to have different book clubs, different opportunities to learn and grow. Don't pass them by. Consider joining one of those things so that we can grow together. And we want to invite you to build citizens together. It's going to take all of us. The reason why we're running, the reason why we're building is so that we can strengthen our witness to demonstrate to this world that there's a different type of love. There's a different type of community that contends in a different type of way. And so the way that we're running, our hope is that it will draw people to run this race with us so that at the finish line, we can see face-to-face -face our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I hope, I hope that you will take up that call and you will join us in this. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for this time where we could be reminded that we are indeed running. We're not running to earn or achieve, but we are running to claim what you have already achieved for us. Thank you, Jesus, for running that perfect race, for enduring that cross with joy and to accomplish our salvation, to reconcile us back to the Father. May we as a community reflect that ministry of reconciliation by the love that we show to one another, despite our differences, despite our passions, despite our longings, that we can come together to form the bride of Christ. God, we need help. There's so many things that we're, we need to resist. Resist just consuming. Resist wanting to just live on our own 
and to run this race on our own. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will help us uh, and give us the humility uh, to be able to serve others and even the humility to take time to be served because we need both. Help us, Lord, to be like Jerome in helping others run this race. God, we want to always keep our eyes fixated on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We entrust this church to you. We entrust our lives to you. Refine us, strengthen us, we pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.